Hello, Monetization Nation. Welcome back to another episode with Mitch Joel. In the last episode, we discussed Mitch's entrepreneurial journey and tectonic shifts such as COVID-19. In today's episode, we will discuss credibility marketing, gatekeepers, and the direct consumer movement. One tectonic shift that we've been talking a lot about on the show is this concept of credibility marketing. Um, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, businesses were still buying as much advertising as they could get their hands on and then using that advertising to tell the world how awesome they are. And, and that behavior doesn't work very well anymore. Businesses, what businesses say about themselves is not trusted. And businesses are having to find much more credible ways to communicate to their audience, whether it be influencer marketing or word of mouth referral marketing or re marketing through reviews or customer success story videos, right? There's lots of different ways to do it. And companies are making, having to make that tectonic transformation. Um, can you share any thoughts or stories, advice that you might have about credibility marketing? Yeah. I mean, I, in all honesty, I don't know if I prescribe to the thesis. Okay. I think that we still do live in a world where people spend billions of dollars, whether it's on Google or Facebook or YouTube to get a concept into people's brains. And that does result in transactions happening. I think at the end of the day, at a very primal level, what you're talking about is, are you paying for attention or earning attention? And I think within that, there's nothing new. I think the internet facilitated the ability for a business to have access at a distribution level to a much larger group without gatekeepers. I believe in that. Uh, but I don't, I don't prescribe to the idea that paying for it for someone to, to, for someone's attention is any different. Buying a click is no different than paying an influencer to, to show your wares to their hundred thousands or millions of followers. So I don't feel like the function of it is all that different. I think what has happened is there's been fragmentation in advertising. I think the fragmentation has enabled brands to not have to worry about Thursday at 8 p.m. on TV. I think that the fragmentation has moved advertising from a scarcity model to one of abundance that still caters to uh, a scarcity premium. I also think that there's a big difference between direct response strategies or storytelling strategies. So to me, that would be more of the kitty corner to what you're saying. I don't know if I would call it credibility marketing so much as it being a thing where businesses have the ability to speak in a direct response way or in a storytelling way uh, for businesses. So you could, uh, direct response is still real and storytelling is still real. If you look at 30 second spots, traditionally, some of them were direct response call now infomercial like, and some of them were, I'd like to teach the world to sing a Coca-Cola commercial, a jingle, a where's the beef, a slogan or whatever it might be. I really don't see that big of a change now other than this gatekeeper being removed. That as a brand, you have the opportunity to create your own storytelling platforms in a more profound way and build it in a consistent and cohesive way. But what's ironic in what you're calling credibility marketing, and I would just call advertising, is if you really look at the split, like if I said to you, Nathan, what do you think the split should be between direct response and storytelling? You would pragmatically say 50-50. But if you really look at what brands are doing, it's probably 95-5, 95 on direct response. I mean, that's why <laughs> Google and Facebook and on and on have the revenues they have. 
you know, Facebook isn't giving the brand on their page access to their whole audience. They have to pay for it. Yeah. If you look at great content that's being retargeted, a lot of that great content isn't even direct response. A lot of the smarter marketers are doing storytelling off of the retargeting. Let me show this cool video about five things you may not have known. And then underneath it is that's my brand. If you want to buy from us, they're paying to have somebody watch a piece of storytelling content in the hopes that that becomes some form of direct response transaction. So there's more complexity, there's more digitization, but there's also more access. And I see it more like that. So I don't think brands that advertise traditionally have lost credibility. I think that brands that aren't credible and are trying to tell non-credible stories are struggling to do so in a world that's more transparent. And that's true. And and when it comes to reviews and things like that, and influencers, especially, I mean, you know, it's kind of just like bad media, really. If you're paying for people to write reviews, if you're marketing within reviews, if you're paying people who don't really know or like your product to talk about how great your product is just because they have an audience, that's not much difference than primetime TV, is it? I mean, we're hoping that the people who watch this TV show will also like the stuff that we're selling over here. The hard work is in that storytelling in terms of building a direct relationship with the customer, which again, you know, I'm not going to take credit for it, but that was the subtitle of my book and my podcast from 20 years ago, right? Six pixel separation is how to connect to everybody, right? In a world where everyone is connected. And it is about how you create those real relationships. It's the ability now for businesses to have authentic connections, real connections between real human beings. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about six pixels. Nice. Uh, this, <laughs> this is how I was introduced to you is, is through this book. Um, so, so in this world where everyone is connected, um, why do we need to connect our business to everyone? And, and how do we do that? What are your key takeaways from this? Yeah. I mean, I don't think you need to connect it to everyone. I think the idea is everyone is connected and you can be connected to everybody who might care about the things you're talking about. That was the bigger idea at the time. And again, the book came out, you have it in front of you. You can see the publishing data. It was a long time ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Probably time to write a third book. Um, and I think that the core of it is still true, right? This idea that we're six degrees of separation away from anybody. And during that time, we had the whole six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yes. But this idea that digitization has made us all intrinsically connected is true. You have people becoming TikTok famous who do not live in LA, do not live in New York, aren't in London. They are in random parts of the US or Canada or Eastern Europe or wherever. And they, because of this technology, have access to distribution platform without gatekeepers. So why is that important? It's important because if you're a brand, B2B, B2C, highly regulated, not, you can tell your stories in much more personable, dynamic, and interesting ways. It bores me to say that, to be honest, because I've been saying that forever. I was saying that before there was an internet. Okay. So this concept of getting rid of gatekeepers, um, you're referring to in the past, there was the TV station and they were the gatekeeper and they decided what was on it. Um, and, and now with, with this world where gatekeepers are removed, people can go, go directly to the company or directly to the content creator, the blogger, the podcaster, um, and, and have direct access to the information and, and, 
the business I'll simplify owner, it for you. Nathan, yeah. I'll simplify it for you. Yeah. You can have a concept right now about what media means. And you can publish that concept in text, images, audio, video, short form, long form, instantly for free to the world. Will the world see it? I don't know, but you can. In theory, an idea posted to the internet has the hooks built into it to be viral, for it to go everywhere, for it to spread. We've seen really bad tweets do that. We've seen political leaders do that. We've seen comedians do it. We've seen people jokingly say something, have their foot firmly inserted in their mouth and lose their careers over that. So we know that in a nuanced way, that's still very, very viable. And that's all, all that means is that you have that access. The people who would say, oh, you want to reach three quarters of Americans and you're not on TV at 8 p.m. on Thursday, you can't do that. And by the way, I get not an original thought. People like Seth Godin have said it before, Joseph Jaffe. There were many others, even before me, who were identifying this. In fact, I think gatekeeper is literally Seth Godin's term. So we should probably acknowledge that I, I probably lifted it from him. But it is the best way to talk about that. If I... When I started my blog, I came out of that from music journalism. Music journalism is a hard business. You think it's hard now? It was harder before the internet. I would write physical letters to magazine publishers and be constantly rejected. To break into that, to have something published that an audience sees with your name on the byline was very rarefied error. So when blogging came along, I'm all in. And then what happens in subsequent years is I'm pitching stories, whether it's Harvard Business Review or whomever, and they would either take it or not. My reaction wasn't, wow, I feel really dejected. Like the Harvard Business Review didn't take that article. It was like, oh, you don't want it. It's okay. I'll publish it on my own, on my blog. And then I'll put it on LinkedIn and then I'll put it on Medium and then I'll put it here and then I'll go to Huffington Post. And then, and suddenly my article was in 50 places and it got the attention. It had the distribution and those people who would traditionally hold it for access for money are gone. Now, we could argue, if you fast forward to where we are now in 2021, that there are gatekeepers again, that if you get 50 people to like your Facebook page, Facebook may only show it to five people and they want you to pay to amplify that, to amplify that message. Yeah. So you could argue that those gatekeepers are back or you could argue, but don't use Facebook. Yeah. Collect names and build a newsletter and send people newsletters and tell them great stories that way. Yeah. yeah you could win that way. You see people arguing, you know, influencers and, and creators fighting in places like Clubhouse or YouTube. What they're really angry about is the distribution. Am I part of the algorithm? So if you're worried about that component of it, because it, it does replicate and, and seemingly have a connection to the traditional media institutions, well, then just build your own, build that direct relationship. Yeah. And, and that's one of the topics you've been talking about recently is the direct impact is businesses that were traditionally not direct to consumer companies, that they should start thinking as, as if they are direct to consumer companies. You want to yeah. share a few thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I mean, there's no, I mean, it's almost antiquated now because, you know, we talked about this whole DTC, this direct to consumer movement it was picking up a lot more steam prior to the pandemic and then became glaringly obvious to everybody that they needed to be involved in this. But what you had is many brands being created that were leveraging things like uh, not having to go to retail, not being having middlemen, not having to do the traditional co-marketing 
but I could build this product. I could source it. I can drop ship it and I can get it going in a direct way to the consumer. I can create values around it. I can create data and analytics around it. And you wound up having, you know, Kardashian like success in terms of billion dollar, hundred million dollar sales and things like cosmetics, which the Kardashians did. And I believe what they did exceptionally well, one is leverage brand, absolutely leverage storytelling, absolutely. But they could listen in a really powerful way. They could see which colors their fans were talking about and produce against that. If they were doing lip gloss, they but saw people talking about eyelashes, they could go there. So they weren't trying to guess, they were following the flow of communication that was happening in that direct capacity. And then of course, you know, as it scales, what happens is they either get acquired by the traditional retailer that's trying to be in the space, uh, they need to scale more. So they wind up taking, you know, retail positions, think about things like Warby Parker and how much physical retail space they now occupy. Um, but they still have that direct to consumer attitude. And what I think is valuable, you're talking about one of the keynote speeches that I give is there's a lot of lessons within what makes direct to consumer very attractive that may or may not be on the radar of some more traditional brands or organizations or associations and how they think. And there's lessons to be learned about being analytics first, building your influencer base, things like that. So building a base of people that follow you and then listening really well to them. And like you said, following the flow. Yeah. Um, nothing original from me, you know, Kevin Kelly again from Wired, just Google a thousand true fans and wrote about it, you know, in a much more eloquent way than I could say, but it's true. If you can get a thousand true fans, a thousand true customers, you know, the gateways open up. Thank you so much, Mitch, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, advertising can still be a credible way to communicate with our customers. The way advertising has changed has simply made it harder for the uncredible business to hide. Number two, the internet has removed many of the gatekeepers in the way of brands communicating with their customers. And number three, we should create direct lines of communication with our customers. This way we can listen to their wants and needs to create a brand they really love. To learn more about or connect with Mitch, you can find him on LinkedIn or his websites, mitchjoel.com or sixpixels.com. And there's links to each of these sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get a free copy of my ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode, and I wish you success in leveraging the internet to change your business. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.